It's the most wonderful time of the year once again. No, not Christmas. It's time for our special Star Wars screening and live podcast. On Friday, December 15th, we'll be hosting a screening of The Last Jedi here in Canberra at Palace Electric. Afterwards, come along with your Star Wars cues and we'll give you some A's. The screening starts at 9pm. Please come in costume, otherwise we'll be like that one nerdy kid in class who dressed up for Halloween. Check out http colon slash slash www.silverscreenqueens.com or our Facebook page to get your tickets. Hi and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Murder on the Orient Express, directed by Kenneth Branagh and released in 2017. The plot of Murder on the Orient Express goes something like this. On a stranded train in the dead of winter, Hercule Poirot must find a murderer among the mysterious passengers. That is how the plot goes. Um, we saw this at a special screening for my birthday because my birthday is this week and I had some champagnes. Um, so so I had a really good time watching this movie and I think people should go see it and have some champagnes and have a good time. Yes, I, I actually have to agree on that. We had it with afternoon tea and it was lovely and there was champagne and tea and scones and cakes and cucumber sandwiches it and was chocolate strawberries i had the best time lovely we i got th- brought snacks while we watched johnny depp get brutally murdered and that is not a spoiler that is in the trailer and it worked out quite well because they brought us champagne when they were being brought champagne on the train and then they brought us tea when they were being brought tea on the train yeah it was great it was very clever well done dendy um yes i think people should see this this is fun silly diversionary entertainment and it was exactly what i needed yeah no, I agree. It was just, it was really entertaining. It was like pretty, God, it was pretty. One of the prettiest movies I think I've seen this year, which kept me entertained. And it's got a great cast and stuff. I mean, there are some bits that are kind of slow. It's sort of not just period set, but it feels very much like it came from the era mm. that it's made in. I know the production design's a lot better now and things like that, but there's this kind of sense that it's from the 30s and it's a little bit languid in that way um, yeah. and also a little bit cheesy in that way, but I found it fun. Yes, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think the wrap-up uh, felt a bit novelish. It sort of was a bit owed a little too much to its novel mm. roots, um, but, I mean, really, that's a, a minor complaint. It looks gorgeous. It's got lovely... Like all these really famous actors, you will know the fun and some great people who you probably won't know, but who are really good. Mm. And you and like, you know, the fun is in the journey, not the destination, as so what so so to speak. And yeah, I think uh, Kenneth Branagh's done a pretty good job in in a uh, what I would be tempted to call a vanity project, but it's actually really fun. So I, I'm not going to do that. Um, however, we will move into the spoiler part of the podcast now. So if you haven't seen or read Murder on the Orient Express and you want to do that before you uh, hear about the movie, uh, come back after you do that and listen to us. So, this it was just what I needed. Yeah. Like, it was just a nice, escapist, fun movie. Yeah, it's your – I mean, you what know, a great Agatha way to Christie. spend Sunday afternoon. Agatha Christie is definitely one of the um, – not trendsetters, but you know what I mean, like the – benchmarks for mm. murder mysteries and this is a really good one yeah um and uh yeah i think part of the modern sensibility is the fact that you can kind of work it out pretty early mm. which i did and then i was just sort of dismissed it i was like no i want to figure it out for real <laughs> mm. um, and i kind of it was really early and i was like oh they're probably they probably all did it and it kind of i kind of got that suspicion more and more as they uncovered more connections mm. to this this um, case. murdered girl mm. 
I was like, oh, come on. There can't be this many coincidences on the same train. They all did it. But it's still really entertaining and fun. Yeah. And they keep it, you know, keep the pace moving along pretty well. Um, and I, I just don't think you could write that sort of a mystery today. Like you'd write it now and it would just be too convenient. Everyone would yes. be like, oh, that's too convenient. But it's, you know, it's old and Agatha Christie and so it, it's fine. Yeah. And that's the thing is that even when it's in the slow parts, there's so many great actors and so many people mm. who are just really, you know, capital A acting all the way through this movie that it keeps it entertaining anyway. Mm. Um, Daisy Ridley is acting her pants off in this movie. She's so good in this. Oh, and she looks so good too. Look at that. Her skin is amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is a like because this is a really HD gorgeous kind of movie, all mm. of the flaws and wrinkles and everything on everybody is really apparent, but it's really great. Yeah. Looks good. Man, it looks oh, good. It yeah beautiful it uses a fair bit of cg but it sort of works for the setting i think mm. i think it look it looks kind of like a painting and that i think works for it um I, it kind of leans into that rather than kind of trying to make it look realistic or gritty at all yeah i agree there's and um there was something you were saying about oh um that that Kenneth Brand is showing off, like mm-hmm. lots of Dutch angles and overhead shots and all this sort of stuff. But I, I mean, because this movie is set on such a like glam train and it's so luxurious and lush and all that sort of thing, I think it really works for this movie. Mm-hmm. Like if it had been in a movie where it, that kind of jars with what's being presented, it doesn't work so well for me. But because it's this kind of movie, that all really makes sense mm. to have it be really like, be really kind of over the top in that way and then all the performances match that and everything everything mm. kind of matches um even patrick doyle's score i think is quite yeah. like it, it's the it, whole thing is there's a feeling of like opulence to mm. everything including everyone's performances and the way they're dressed and the way the set is dressed and the way it it, it look it just is kind of a richness like a lushness to yeah. the whole thing um and the cast is almost to a person really good Mm. Um, the people who I think impressed me a lot, who I didn't expect to, were um, there's a guy called Tom Bateman in this movie who plays Poirot's kind of friend, sidekick, conductor mm. guy. Um, who Duke. I thought was I thought had done it for a long time into this movie. I was like, <laughs> he's too handsome and charming, and Poirot is just trusting him too easily. He definitely did it, yeah. and he didn't. He didn't. I kind of thought that that might be, it, but but they said early on that he completely had an alibi because he wasn't even on the carriage, so yeah. he's not even a choice really um but he was really good um he really kind of steals a lot of the scenes and he's just Mm. he's just really fun and excellent Mm. a couple of guys who we've seen in a couple of other things there's mawan kanzari in this movie Mm. who was in the promise and the mummy this year i don't think we noticed him in the mummy i noticed him in the promise he was um oscar isaac's friend yeah turkish friend with the moustache um and uh and I was distracted by how cute he was in that movie. And I was also distracted by how cute he was in this movie, but I didn't recognize him without the mustache. <laughs> um, and, um, Manuel, I want to say. Garcia Rulfo. Thank you. I, I remembered the Rulfo part, not the Garcia part, mm. who, um, was in The Magnificent Seven. Mm. And he kind of played a token Latino guy in this, but he was really charming and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you noticed how cute he was. <laughs> I, I did. Well, I also thought. Tom Bateman was very cute. And I I feel like I recognise him from some British TV. Mm. Um, and looking through his sort of back, you know, catalogue, I guess he has been on a bit of British a bit of bit of British TV, but he also seems to be a theatre actor who's worked with Kenneth Branagh. And we know Kenneth Branagh does pick theatre actors that he likes to work with. Yeah, he also brought into this um in a very minor role Hadley Frazier, who mm. Les Miz fans whose name Les Miz fans might recognise. Mm. Um but also um Leslie Odom Jr. 
is probably the most famous theatre kind of. Uh, uh, mm. I want to say transport. That's not the right word either. My brain is doing theatre person. I yeah. guess. But um, he plays Doctor Arbuthnot, and he's playing English. And honestly, I didn't recognize him and so i was like oh he's the kind of the weak link here that accent's mm. not right which i feel a bit sad about because i do know that he is a really good performer um but it might have been a bit miscast here i say this is a big leslie odom jr fan like i love hamilton he was definitely miscast in this just put a british actor in it yeah he couldn't do the accent and he was really struggling yeah although i do admire um and i don't i don't think agatha christie did this i think this is a Branner thing. They've race swapped a couple of characters. Uh, Arbuthnot, uh, he's one of them. He and was played by Sean Connery in the seventies yeah. movie, so fairly certain yeah, he was so not black. He's been race swapped, as has I'm guessing um, Manuel Garcia Rulfo's character. I I don't I don't, I don't, I don't even, know. I can't even find his name in the credits for the seventies movie. Yeah, so, so I would guess that. Yeah, that's so they a have different... at least made a little bit of an effort. Well, I noticed that more in the um, supporting cast as well. There's a policeman who they're just comes, ran, yeah at the beginning who's at black. the beginning who's black who comes to help and things like that. Like, and they're not like token people or anything like that. And of course, um, Marlon yeah. Kanzari on the train as well right. yeah, is given just, quite a role. And nobody mm. is like th- this movie kind of goes after a bit of a social justice angle, I mm. think, but not in a way that's on the nose or anything. Yeah, and I really quite, enjoyed it. Quite deftly handled. Well done. Kenneth Branagh. There's a couple of comments about, oh, she would have been the first female stage director and a few mm. other things where it was like, oh, um, Broadway mm. director star thing. And a couple of other things where it was just these little notes mm. that like, yes, you know, minorities have existed and have had, you know, ambitions and goals and and also have been um, held back from those ambitions and goals for a long time. Yep, and um, that when they did exist in the 1930s and you can't just cite historical accuracy. Yeah, exactly. And I enjoyed that a lot because it's sort of um, – it's all just kind of placed incidentally in the movie but it doesn't distract the movie, which is really fun. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take away that kind of like, you know, glam lux like um, aesthetic. period aesthetic that yeah. it's got going on. Yeah, I It is that. good. Um, I do find – I did find though like I know it's the, the, the story but it was sort of an oddly – international group for the 1930s and also Poirot sort of knew a lot about like these obscure little cases in America in like small town America that had also happened now I assume that that's because Poirot is so famous he gets called into American cases as well but then like you also have just this entire cast of people who've come from this small town including some who are like made who was a was a nurse and is now a missionary and others who are like not was very it a wealthy small town well, I thought this was a major case. It seems like, like a, it was somewhere in New Jersey, like so a relatively large city, I guess. But it seemed like this was a major case. And the thing that got me was it reminded me of um, what's that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio as? Oh, Catch Me If You Can. No. Um. Um. And it had Army Hammer as his boyfriend. The aviator. And it's the no, no, no. It's about the the um FBI guy. And there's this pilot whose daughter goes missing. Oh, the Lindbergh baby. Yes, the Lindbergh baby. It yeah, kind of reminded me. Made of, me think of as well. Yeah. So I, I was don't know the movie, was, but I know the real case. <laughs> yes, the real case. Oh, I assume. I was thinking about the real case, but I was like, I can't remember it from anything other yeah. than this movie. I, I would assume it is based on the Lindbergh baby because that was going on at that time. Except that Charles Lindbergh survived and became a very famous fascist. But yeah, I would. I would assume right. that's Agatha Christie writing from life. So yeah. I assumed it was a case like that, which is famous enough that like it's widely known. 
yeah, not, yeah. rather than a case that's like a little town kind of all these people yeah, happen yeah. to be. I thought it was like a major, major thing, especially since the the mother of the woman who was who died was an actress, was famous, was yeah. famous actress and things like that. I thought it would be like, mm. you know, international kind of intrigue news. Mm, mm. Um, Fair enough. And that's why everybody kind of. And especially Poirot who gets called all over the world to do cases. Yes, exactly. So he would have heard it, heard of it because it was this yeah, major yeah. big thing. Um, it probably makes more sense in the novel as well, whereas in the movie you've kind of got to skip over some of the things that, that it just seems like he knows everything. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of assumed it was just international news. Um, mm. Yeah, having everybody kind of be in I think that it does become t- obvious fairly early on that there's too many coincidences. Yeah. Um, even Josh Gad pretty early and then uh, there's a bit with Judy Dench and you're like, really? Hang on a minute. And then by the time he's on the uh, – um, Count's room. Mm. That guy I didn't like very much. I didn't think no. he was that good. Those two were kind of felt a little pointless. Yeah, I also didn't realize like it wasn't immediately obvious because we, we were introduced to them early and mm. in that bar fight, and then you sort of forget about them for ages until you actually see them again. Well, they I did see him on the. He's in the establishing shot of all the potential um, murderers. Mm. Um, yeah, all the no, suspects. They are there. I just she isn't. She isn't in no. that establishing shot. He is. Um, Lucy Boynton is her. I've seen her somewhere. I know I have. Yeah. So there's that establishing shot through there mm. um, that he's in. So they do clearly want you to rec- remember him, but mm. they're not. Mm. I think they're also not memorable because they're just not interesting. That's true. Yeah. They're not famous. They're not like. It's not like Judy Dench walking onto a train with two puppies and um, <laughs> and Olivia and Coleman. Olivia Coleman, yeah. thank you. I was going to be like, you know, and Watson's wife. That's not even her. No. Um, <laughs> no. I get all of them. I'm but not very good at British TV. You're actors. sort of not not far off though, because she's David Tennant's cop partner in Broadchurch. So that's what she's that's, best known for. That's why so I, can, I got that that's mixed like up. One step from her, <laughs> um, Sherlock, I, as, as far as I'm concerned. She's also about to start playing the Queen. In the, in the next season of The Crown. Okay. Oh, really? Isn't that somebody else? So Foy? The, she's, Claire got Foy. The, she's got the young, young queen. And then Olivia Coleman's going to take the next stage, which is... That's interesting. Yeah. They don't look alike at all. Mm-hmm, I know. And she doesn't have the right <laughs> colour eyes. But anyway. But, I mean, it's, Olivia Coleman is as much of an institution as Judy Dench by now. So, you know. Okay. That's cool, um, yeah. Once she's in more movies, maybe I'll. But yeah, I, she's I, best known for television and best known for being in Broadchurch with David okay. Tennant. I think she's probably at the same level of fame for me as Watson's wife. Where like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I know I've seen her mm-hmm. a bit. She's in a lot of British TV. Yeah. She she was also in my favorite that I bring up every week, The Night Manager. Ah, as right. like when she was she was pregnant. She was pregnant in real life, like seven months pregnant, doing this thing. And she's she's a cop, plays a cop in that as well because she's always playing like down-to-earth cop types. Mm. And she's running around with a gun in Cairo. It's just great. She's so – she's just so fun. <laughs> I like her. Yeah. Um, I Sorry. didn't recognize – and I did – but then there's other people I recognized in this movie that, you know – That I didn't. Maybe other people wouldn't. And, yeah, Leslie Odom Jr. was one of them. I wanted to see how he would do. I hope that he gets more movie roles because I'd be sad if this is all he gets and it wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, I mean, his interesting choice in terms of physicality, I'm just remembering back to the bit on the boat at the start. Because he's got that theatre training, he really sort of holds himself in a particular way that's really suited to that 1930s style of acting. I think he also kind of projects. Yes. A little like his movements are quite big. You can see why someone like Branagh, who's such a theatre person, would have gone for him. Yes. Whereas Daisy Ridley is very kind of subtle in a lot of what she does in this movie. And 
I, I kind of put those two together because they're they're a couple. They're a couple, but they're also kind of the main like through line for this as yes, as they're the first people we're introduced to. Yeah, and we think it's them for most of the movie really. Mm. Josh Gad kind of comes in and out as a major suspect, but it's it's mostly them and because mm. we see them before definitely doing something shady, then yeah. they seem like they are probably the main suspects the whole way through. But also because she's the only one who can kind of match Poirot. Yeah. She's smart enough to be able to see through what he's doing, mm. which is really fun to watch those two together. I really think Daisy Ridley's gonna be a powerhouse actress because she, she really great? holds her own in this. It's really good to see her stretching herself in lots of different stuff as well. Like between she's obviously hugely busy with Star Wars commitments, but in between she's shooting things like this, kind mm. of really um trying doing a lot of different stuff. I will also say that I've never seen her look more like Kira Knightley than she does in this movie. <laughs> she does, yeah. <laughs> Something about the period clothes and everything, which Daisy Ridley is very well suited for, but I was watching it like, man, she looks like Kira Knightley. Um, yeah. So I don't know what else, where we were going with that. I'm going to read my notes. I, I thought about actually the cozy mystery. Like that's sometimes you, the word used for Agatha Christie novels is a like cozy mystery, and that's definitely what this felt like. Well, I think it also had some really challenging kind of emotional weight at the end that made it worthwhile. That's what you can do with genre. That's fair. It's why it was it was quite nicely um, put together. Like it uses the, the genre as like a a nice frame to hang the more meaty stuff off. Yeah, and but like I think that's what separates this from something that you might have seen like a Poirot TV kind of mm. thing. Like there is something a little bit kind of your grandmother's TV on a Sunday night about this movie. Yes. But then that that emotional weight and also the obviously the quality of the actors. But a lot of those actors got their start on things like that. So That's right. Oh, my God. And at the end there's a Michelle Pfeiffer wig reveal and you know how I love a wig reveal. Like a wig reveal is amazing and there is one and it's so exciting. That one got me because I was like, that wasn't – surely that wasn't a wig for the whole movie. Yeah, wasn't well, because it? she wasn't... pulls off the blonde hair, which yeah. like is her hair yeah. and has a brown wig underneath. But as RuPaul says, never pull off your wig unless you're wearing another wig underneath. <laughs> but it's not – it doesn't look like the, – the rest of the movie, that's her real hair, right? Yeah, that's I would not assume a wig. that's her real blonde hair. Like that doesn't look anything like it was just it was really funny, funny. yeah that's why it was funny <laughs> i didn't make a note that michelle pfeiffer seems to uh play a lot of like trampy older characters now like you know uh, it's not that's her was not very different from her character in mother yeah exactly yeah. what i was thinking and there was something else she was in recently that was fairly similar like that seems mm. to be what she's doing now i think i mentioned before i'm not the world's hugest fan of michelle pfeiffer mm. my favorite role of hers remains that time she played catwoman Mm-hmm. Um, and I know she's having experiencing a real career resurgence right now, but I'm like, okay, mm. I'm much more looking forward to the career resurgence of Angela Bassett, to be honest, like in Black Panther next year. But she was fine in this. Yeah, she was. Well, it kind of seems to seems like she's got a niche that suits her, and people yeah. cast her in that niche, and so that works. And there's always got to be some like brassy, loud American in one of these. Like you just have to have that. Yeah, I know. And she was. It was fun. Yeah, like it was a fun role. It kind yeah. of brought a couple of smiles out of um, Poirot as well, which is – and he, she kind of got under Poirot's skin a bit, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and there was a scene like – there's a scene with her and Johnny Depp where she's just acting rings around Johnny Depp as well. Like right at the start they talk to each other. Shall we talk about Johnny Depp in this? Well, yes. Thankfully he's the murder victim. He is the murder victim and we do get to and live also, out the fantasy of everybody getting to stab Johnny Depp. Yep, and, he, and because he was a murderer and so therefore everybody gets away with it. There's a point at which um, I think it's Michelle Pfeiffer says she – oh, no. 
Poirot said he didn't like Johnny Depp's face. Mm. And I was like, well, nobody likes Johnny Depp's face now. Let's face it. Like, but the thing is, it seems like as his career has gone, like as his personal kind of, mm. um, allure has gone in the toilet that like people don't like him as a person anymore. His acting has gone the same way. Like he just seems to be getting worse and worse. Yeah. And phoning it in more and more. He was barely in this. And, and the bits that he was in were phoned in. Like, like you said, Michelle Fife, Michelle Fife is not exactly an acting powerhouse. She's great and she's fun, but she acts rings around him in that scene. She's giving quite a lot to him in that scene and he's giving nothing in return. Yeah. I, I just felt, I actually felt frustrated for her as like having such a non-responsive scene partner. It almost could have been filmed like the two of them in different studios. Yeah. He he just when I say he's barely in this, I I meant that on a more metaphorical level where he's like he just doesn't care to be in this. And the one of the part, the one part of the movie that really lost me was where he's monologuing to Poirot in oh, the yeah. dining car. Me too. I actually don't remember all the all the exposition he shoved at us. Something I think we about were eating. art. We were, we and were. I was like, I was not interested in the movie at all. I was just eating. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, cucumber sandwiches, and didn't care at all he what was, he was saying. And he was just shoveling a bunch of. Something, something, art, something, something, the mob are after me. Yeah, he was talking about what his job is now and how somebody was trying to kill him and blah, mm. blah, blah. Who was the person who couldn't spell better on that? I thought that was going to be a clue, but it, anyway. It wasn't. Both of the notes had the word better, but it was B-E-T-T-R. Yeah. And I was like, maybe that's a clue. <laughs> who knows? I just couldn't figure that out. I don't. These things distract me and nobody else. Um, no, that distracted me as well, the, the wrong spelling stuff. That was annoying. Yeah. Um, Oh, I actually, you know, I did, loved all the little one-liners that particularly that Poirot has. I wrote one of those down when he like, says, romance never goes unpunished. Yeah. I liked that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were great. And the one about um, where he is confronting Josh Gad about um, Johnny Depp's books. And he's like, it's full of, what is the English word? Chocolata. Fudge. It is full of the fudge. Yes. <laughs> it's just, that was like, very funny. But his, yeah, but his little like sarcastic one-liners like that were amazing. I assume they're Agatha Christie's, but I don't know. They could have been punched up. I don't know. I, I mean, mean, it doesn't matter. They were great. And they, they're in the spirit of Poirot, the quips and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think that this was very much in the spirit of Poirot, but kind of punched up to modern um, expectations yeah. of quippy dialogue. Especially because the plot by modern standards is quite thin. I also have a, a note about um, Penelope Cruz mm. in this movie who, like, I think in almost any other movie she could have just gone unnoticed, so she decided to absolutely not be unnoticed by saying the most incredibly melodramatic dialogue in the most incredibly melodramatic ways possible. Like, I don't think everybody laughed nearly every time she had a line because it was so, so intense. She had, yeah, a lot of, like, quippy stuff too. Her lines But were they quite weren't quips. They were, like genuine they were serious yeah yeah that's um, why they were funny though yeah exactly but she was saying them so earnestly yeah, and, so, yeah. and that she was, was i think it was funny on purpose as well but it was just this like it was almost like she sort of knew that her role was smaller so she was the, doing the no small actors thing it and she was like i'm going to own it she reminded me of her spanish roles in that actually yeah like like it was almodovar-esque you know that that different style of acting i think yeah. that sort of not, less realism more like acting yeah, it was funny. It was just every. Mm, no, she was they great. just it'd go in for a close up on her, and she'd deliver this line about how they were all going to be judged or something. And yeah. you're like, how can everybody in this in this train car keep a straight face when she says things yeah. like that? No, it reminded me of the the one where she's the pregnant nun. I can't remember what that one's called, but that one. I don't remember. It's, I think it's all about her mother, but I'd have to look that up. 
anyway, one of the Almodi bras that she's in. It, yeah, she was really like really kind of over the top in this. I mean, everybody was going for the roof, but um, like acting yeah. to the rafters. But uh, yeah, she was really going for it to an extent that even some of the other like and Kenneth Branagh was really chewing the scenery as well. But but that's perfect for him. It is perfect. It's a perfect Branagh part. It was also good because he wasn't like trying to be too likable, which made him a lot more likable. I think mm. sometimes Branagh can kind of try and make his roles too like hammy mm. and like smirky and try to be make you like him mm. and it doesn't work. But this one he was trying to be like grumpy yeah. and off-putting and it worked a lot better. <laughs> yes. Plus that moustache was great. That was just wonderful. And there's a brilliant sight gag where he wakes up and he's got a moustache protector that he sleeps in. I just, that was, that was very funny. funny. Um, yeah, no, because he's such a that I mean that he he's playing to his strengths. Mm. I've just re- relatively recently come off watching him play Wallander, which is like supposed to be this gritty Scandinavian crime drama where he's like you know he's playing like the David Tennant role in Broadchurch, you know the the detective with a past, and it doesn't quite work. Like he's a good actor and it's decent enough, but it, it doesn't work for him. No. Like he's not. He's not meant for, like, disappearing into roles. He's meant to stride around. Mm. You know what annoys me about Kenneth Branagh? His first name has two N's in it, but his last As name only has one. Which I figured that out when I was typing the <laughs> intro. And I was like, and the computer corrected me. And I was like, what? <laughs> the, the lack of symmetry is disturbing. Exactly what Poirot would say, I think. Mm. Poirot mm. would be like, but why are there two N's in the first name and only one in the last name? It's like mm. trying to spell Steve, uh, not Steve, Will Ferrell and things like that, where you're like, but why? Why are they different numbers of letters? I know. It's there's very like hard. Two L's, there should be two L's and two R's and two L's, but there's not. One of them's only got one. Which one is it? I don't know. Mm. I, I, I actually like how they quite lightly touched on Poirot's quirks like he has his quirks at the start but then they don't really go back to them too much there's just enough to like let you know who he is and then you kind of forget about him and get into the story like the the with other shows like <coughs> Sherlock <laughs> you that stuff that keeps just getting hammered over the head whereas this one they just kind of went there's a little bit about some eggs and a couple of little things like that and then you actually just got on with the story yeah, and you sort of, it's enough to know that that's in the background of everything mm. that he's doing. For, but the bit that I really thought could have been cut up was it cut out, was he kept going on about his sweet Catherine. And it made, and she was, this woman is clearly like younger than us. And let's be real, Kenneth Brown is old enough to be our father. Well, I don't think she, I think I assume, he said there was someone once. So I assume he was I, the same yeah. age as her when he was yeah, with yeah. her. But it looked a bit creepy. It was like, because he was like, my love, and she's young enough to be his daughter and you're kind of like well, what is going on here but they never come back to it now no. obviously they're set up for a sequel because at the end somebody pulls him off the train and says you're needed there's been a murder on the nile yeah but which is great yes please bring me that sequel it probably makes sense if you're a poirot fan i don't know maybe but i i was like just cut this it movie could have been cut definitely long enough <laughs> um it really could have been cut and the, nobody would miss it but the bit i would have done differently is actually the denouement the bit where he solves the crime, where he has them all sitting Last Supper style at a table, which is, which like, I, I good work leaning into it all the way, Kenneth, good work. But basically it's just him like monologuing their stories, which is what would happen in the novel, of course. Mm. But I feel like for a film and for a modern film, you need to break that up a bit. Do you know what that made me think of? It was psych. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
Sean does the wrap up at the end of every. Yeah, I know yeah. that that's a trope from before. Psych. It, the trope is from Poirot. Poirot. Yes. That so that's why Psych does it. I, I yeah. See, but- I thought of I thought of Psych when uh, Leslie Odom Jr. appeared because I was like, yeah, he the, was the, the bit about yeah because black people hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> I mean, you can't. Yeah, I mean, you can't do anything other than watch it back through the lens of all the things that have copied it, which is, mm. you know, that's and that's fine. The movie's aware of that. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I'm getting distracted by the idea of um, of all of the Hamilton actors being in things. I was just remembering that David Diggs has got a movie coming up as well. There are – I feel like there's more than one musical theatre person in this uh, Didn't movie. We, we did talk about that earlier. Briefly, um, yeah. Hadley Fraser is also, but he was in it very yeah, briefly. Yeah, Adam Garcia. Garcia turns up as well. Um, yeah, who I didn't recognize. You, did, oh, you no, didn't recognize, was... but you went, oh, "That guy's Australian." Yeah, which that's us. That is us in every movie and every TV show. Yes, and, and there's, uh, I don't know, is that it? I don't know. I know Daisy Ridley can sing, but I don't think she's done any musical theater. Yeah, m- maybe I was just sort of overthinking it. Josh Gad is the and, other one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I of was course. going through them. I'm like, oh, obviously, Josh Gad was in um, Book of Mormon. Um, Frozen. and Frozen, which is not musical theatre, but yes, he was also in Frozen. But Frozen's a movie about musical theatre actors. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of musical theatre actors. With in a it. lot of musical theatre actors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was really good in this, actually. I was, I yeah. appreciated Josh. And I liked that, I feel like he's a better answer to actors like, um, Superbad. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. who? Seth Rogen? S- no, the other, no, it's the other one. The other guy. Yes, he does. He's, he's, um, He's, he's quite, like a less bro-y Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah, he's like oh, a yeah, yeah. less like. He actually reminded me of um. You remember um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? He actually reminded me of the guy who was in that. Yeah, the same oh, I love sort him. of same sort of pathos about him. Yeah, which I thought um, was really nice. But kind of like, you, I can see the musical theater in Josh Gad's performance in Murder on the Orient Express yeah. as well. Like, there's well, this sort of slight over-the-topness, but it works well for this movie. Well, th- and Leslie Odom Jr. kind of was a little too far in that. Or maybe it was just the accent that was distracting me. Yeah. But but that's – I think it's not just the musical theatre. It's the theatre actors in this. Like, the, mm. it's a, they've very deliberately gone for an old-fashioned an old-fashioned style of acting, a non-realistic style, and I think that's great. Dan Fogler is um, – yeah. plays Kowalski in Fantastic Beasts. Um, yeah. yeah, they definitely – like, they really leaned into that yeah, kind of good. old-fashioned feeling. I and probably given that there are only like 14 in the cast, most of the cast, the most of the time, probably felt like being on a theatre production. Yeah, it's quite a big cast, but it doesn't, you kind of, but apart from those two characters who we forgot about, most of them you remembered yeah. really clearly. And, and, um, yeah, and they're quite contained for most of it. So, yeah. Who were those? I want to know who the actors were now. Oh, one of them is Lucy Boynton, who is actually American, even though her British accent is kind of amazing. And, and her last name is Boynton? Yeah. Which I is know. the, uh, Lucy Boynton is the most English the sounding British-ish name. name that's ever British, and she sounded really British too. Like I would not have picked that accent, but she it has been in something that I've watched recently, and I can't work it out. But she's done a lot of British stuff. Like I, she says she's says she was born in New York City, but she's very British sounding. Maybe her parents are British and they yeah. moved to England right after she was born or something. Cause yeah, there's yeah she, no she yeah seems like she she's grew in up Sing in the, Street. she did she grew up in the UK so she, her, she's Lucy Boynton and you were trying to work it out because Daisy Ridley's character is supposed to have been a governess to her sister's child but also it seems to her mm. and she's two years younger than Daisy Ridley in real life Daisy Ridley in real life is twenty five and Lucy Boynton is twenty three but I think 
1934, someone like someone like Daisy Ridley's character, who's she's talks like she sounds like a lady, but she clearly doesn't have very much money, and she's working as a governess. I think she would have gone to work when she was like 16, and so it kind of makes sense that she was the governess to an American little American girl, and then someone who's only a couple of years younger than you know how like sometimes there are graduate teachers who are only you know a few years older than their older students I do but it just it just felt really wrong Mm. to me like just watching the two of them in the same scene you're like there's no way she could have been her governess they look exactly the same age Mm -hmm. I think it's because Daisy Ridley looks so young clearly she looks younger to you than she does to me because I was like well yeah she's 23 24 that's fine but she looks exactly the same age as the other girl to me and they are only like a couple of years apart so I was just like no it doesn't it just doesn't Mm -hmm track yeah yeah um and that was a bit weird the movie seems to be making it out like daisy ridley's more mature and older than leslie odom jr's age as opposed to daisy ridley's age and i think it might just be because daisy ridley was really good in the audition yeah she she is actually playing older than she is she might be suffering a bit of the jennifer lawrence's there okay sergey paulin and Polunen, who plays the, the um, count, the dancer, count is a dancer. He's, oh, yeah, that which makes, makes a which, lot more sense. I mean, of course, he's a dancer. Did you not see him move in that I did, scene? Yeah. yeah, and I was like, that. Yeah, they probably cast is, him because he is a dancer rather he's than not much of an actor. actor. Let's be honest. And he does like, like instead of acting, he just sort of poses. Yeah, in like positions with her. Did you notice that? Yeah, like yeah. he would just turn his head or like put his arm around her and then like crowd over her or something and it wasn't really he was just kind of moving into positions <laughs> yeah. rather than doing much they didn't like, make him say too many lines either yeah which that explains a lot that he he is a real mm. um dancer rather than i'm going to find out who oh it doesn't say who played those roles i think the roles are different in the what I'm trying the roles in the 1970. Oh, you're looking up the old movie, yeah. which is of interest. Because I want to see if the the so There's Vanessa Redgrave Redgrave played Mary Debenham. Yep, and the Countess Andrani was Jacqueline. Bisset. So clearly, Mary Debenham's the sort of who is 73 now, and Vanessa Redgrave is about the same age. I'd say. 80 now, so she's about seven years, years older. older. But but also Vanessa Redgrave's the acting powerhouse of that cast. Yeah, well, one of them. That had a really good cast. Right, but people, um, by, by Michael York is a great actor, but Sean Connery's, you know, Sean Connery. Sean Connery is a presence. Yes. Um, also a jackass. But Lauren Bacall was Mrs. Hubbard in that mm. one. So. Oh, that yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it also had Ingrid Bergman as someone called Greta. So that's probably the, uh, the Penelope Cruz role, I reckon. I reckon that would be that. That would make sense. Unless she's like the maid and to John um, Gilgood is somebody. Oh, Beddoes was that? Oh, the he would have been butler? the um, yeah Derek Jacoby's role. Um, Anthony yeah. Perkins was the Josh Gad role. Yeah. Oh, that um, makes sense. Yeah, that's a good Tony Perkins role too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I want to watch that movie. Mm. We've. Got I think that would be fun. <laughs> I'm completely. We're completely off track, and you have to edit this all. That's tonight. that's fine. It's only, what, how uh, long have we been going? I feel like we've been talking a long time. Yep, yep. We have not. <laughs> I've sort of been losing energy a little bit. Should yeah, we? Yeah. Let's. Oh, that's fine. Let's. We can wrap it up. Can um, we? Do we, have we got enough? Oh, that's not off topic. Yeah, it's fine. So, um, cool. You want to give it a result or mark, or will I? I think I'll give it four stars. I probably wouldn't be as generous if I wasn't feeling quite so happy today but you know i had a really good time watching this yeah i want to give it four stars as well actually i'm maybe the tide is turning and i'm becoming generous again but it was just a really nice movie a good afternoon's entertainment and it's a good sort of you know it's a really good take your mum to it movie it is um but it's like anyone really could enjoy it 
I think the reason I like it so much is because it's so, like, Kenneth Branagh has set out to do something with this interpretation of the book, mm. and he completely did that. Yep. Like, all of – everybody's on board. Everything is, like, the way that it should be. It sounds and looks and, you know, moves along well. It, it's – all the acting is is pitched to the right level for it's, the movie. It commits. It commits, exactly. So there's nothing in this movie that feels like it's kind of out of place. Or, like, that sticks mm. out as being <laughs> – I think Poirot would like it. Mm. <laughs> um, it doesn't feel like it's asymmetrical. It feels like it all fits it's together. Well, it's well made. It's yeah, really, it well is made. really well and made. Everybody... And it looks so good. And when you need a break from the train, there's a break from the claustrophobia of the train. When you need mm. a, a change of pace, there's an action scene. When you need – you know, he just kind of – I think that Denouement was a little long. Yeah. But that is partly the genre. Um, it could have done with, like – I think a little more setup and then a little more flashback to what we saw linking into mm. the actual murder. But those are kind of minor quibbles, I think. Mm. And there was definitely an emotional weight to it that I felt kind of carried it through the little awkwardness. So, yeah, I just think it was really nicely made. Oh, but Michelle Pfeiffer should not be allowed to sing on the Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why? No, that's completely that unnecessary. So she started singing and both of us were like, I think that's Michelle Pfeiffer. That sounds like Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, stop letting actors do that. I mean, she can sort of sing, but I still feel like she was miscast in Hairspray. Mm. Um, and especially after seeing Kristen Chenoweth play that role. But, um, yeah, I know she did a good job. I just don't think, and it's very distracting at that particular moment. Especially. Yeah. As you're coming to the credits. Yeah. Um, okay. So thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find old episodes, the show notes, or tickets to our Canberra screening of Star Wars The Last Jedi, you can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens, on Twitter at screen underscore queens, and on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.